Many of us still are living in a work-from-home world in which business travel is, for the most part, suspended, or at the very least, strongly discouraged. What does that mean for those planning the Super Bowl and the many events around it? Our Ben Fisher has that story this week, and he's here to talk about it. Then, we'll hear from executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. That, and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the virtual newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. We're not far from the calendar turning to October, which means we're closing in on four months out from the Super Bowl scheduled for Tampa. And while a lot can happen between now and then, this is a period in which those who use the Super Bowl to entertain and to do business typically would be making their plans. How do you make those sort of plans in this disrupted world that we're all living in today? And to discuss that is our NFL writer, Ben Fisher. Ben, the clock is ticking, right? What uh, What is the league looking at? What is it? What are its sponsors looking at? What are its entertainment providers looking at? Its hospitality providers looking at? Because again, this is around the time that people in normal times would be thinking about exactly what their week, their Super Bowl week or weekend was going to look like. Right. And it shouldn't surprise anybody who's tried to plan anything in their personal lives. Now is about the time I start hearing from my folks about my plans for Christmas. And my answer to them is not too far off what the answer to everybody is about the Super Bowl and the NFL, just times a billion in terms of scope and financial commitments. <laughs> it's just so difficult to say what the world's going to look like more than a few weeks out right now. And, you know, I mean, the NFL has been working on contingencies about the regular season all summer. There's some world class business minds on this and certainly a lot of money that can help make the uncertainty a little less stressful. But the fact remains, it's extremely uncertain. And the big problem that, that our story this week goes into is that the, the calendars don't align. People need to be making planning decisions and commitments before they're going to really feel comfortable with, uh, with a real understanding of what we're looking at in terms of on-the-ground pandemic conditions in, in, in early February. And, a, and an awful lot of money to commit at this point when you don't know what's coming, right? Right, right, right. As, as their story gets into non-refundable deposits on hotels and event spaces and vendors and even, you know, your, your staff to host big parties, all that stuff starts to come together in earnest in the fourth quarter of the calendar year. And, you know, you may not know exactly how many seats are going to be available for the Super Bowl or, you know, what the overall conditions are as far as the restaurants and, and, and everything else like that in Tampa until more like January. Yeah, and 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 interestingly, of course, in a in a state that has been really gung ho about opening and reopening, you know, you just look at this last this last couple of weeks. The Jags open uh, with fans. The Dolphins open with fans. The Bucks did not open with fans in Tampa and don't expect to until the middle of October, like October sixteenth, I think. So right. you know, you you might be looking though at this interesting dynamic where. I'm at a company that's in New York or in Chicago or uh, out on the West Coast, beyond even what the questions of traveling and getting to the game would be, which who has any idea right now. But let's go beyond that and say, you know, am I in a place where I'm doing that sort of business regardless of what they're doing in Florida? Right. And that really was the big problem that came up as we started making calls and checked with everyone around the Super Bowl. It's not so much the game itself. Things are trending the right way in terms of event attendance. 
and the NFL and some of their advisors are very optimistic that we're going to see big breakthroughs in um, rapid testing or perhaps even a vaccine by February 7th. And, you know, the NFL could probably afford to wait a little while on questions like exactly how many people are going to be allowed into the stadium and all that. The big problem, though, is corporate policies, because the Fortune 500, your standard American company right now, is still under a effectively a ban on non-essential travel. A lot of them still aren't back in the office. It's still a heavy work from home environment. And certainly corporate entertainment is, is verboten right now. And everyone I spoke to said that there's no chance they're going to get approval for major hospitality in Tampa as long as those policies are one agency CEO said that, you know, we're not going to we can't say to our employees, you're not even allowed back in the office, but we're going to put out a big buffet for our best customers. It's just it's, it's a legal policy problem, but it's also sort of an image and workforce management problem that that um, these companies basically are going to have a real uphill battle getting approval to do any of this internally, you regardless op- of how positive things might be trending in Tampa. You opened with Pepsi, which I think was a great place to start. I, I you know, here's a company that is synonymous with the Super Bowl halftime show, which certainly uses the game as a place to entertain. What are its expectations? Pepsi and, and their executives granted the premise of my questions, but the answers are largely a shrug and sort of put your hands in the air. Look, there's definitely going to be some sort of halftime show. There's definitely going to be Pepsi marketing around the Super Bowl. That's not going to go away. But right now, in terms of what that would normally look like, you're talking about a few hundred or several hundred VIP guests, counting in families and others. You might get into over a thousand people whose trips relate to Pepsi one way or another to Tampa. Lots of parties. You know, last year they did a big concert two days before the Super Bowl. Um, they've got, you know, they often do a thing like it's a sneak preview for people to come watch the halftime show dress rehearsal earlier in the week. It's a big, big show and things could change, no doubt. But they are under a work from home, non-essential travel is banned a policy until at least January 1st. So while on paper, you could say, OK, that policy list January 1st, we're fine by February 7th. The decisions and the commitments are going to have to come before January 1st. And you just think of where whoever's listening to this, think of your company's human resources department or your chief legal officer. What do you think they're going to think of committing to a, a big program in February that presumes that things are going to be better by then? So Don't how- hold your breath for approval. <laughs> so how how is... You know, NFL, the NFL, and particularly its its hospitality arm, its Super Bowl hospitality arm, especially on location. How are they dealing with that? Is they because they have packages out there in the market right now, right? And they look like normal packages, as if nothing were going on. Correct? Yeah, I, you know, I think someone who's a real expert in that space might be able to see some things around the edges where maybe they're a little bit less explicit and specific about the exact details of it. But you know, you can buy identified tickets. Identified seats, I mean, inside of Raymond James Stadium, plus, you know, a hotel package and um, commitments to the uh, big game day on-site tailgate parties they put on, too. Um, so it's all out there. Um, you can buy those things. Obviously, if the game doesn't happen at all or fans are banned, there's a full refund that would be kicked in as NFL standing policy for any of their games. But as we all know, there's a million variations between that and a normal day that still might you still might need to consider as you plan this out. A couple of people I spoke with 
seem, seem to think that the expectations are not that they really sell those right now. They're more out there to sort of stick, put a plant a stick in the ground and begin the conversation with possible users and buyers about, you know, what are your realistic expectations? Is there a scenario in which you made your NFL sponsor need your usual complement of 400 tickets? Is it totally out of the question? Is it still in the air? So I think it's a lot of information gathering. And the sense is it's good to price those packages now, just so everyone knows what we're dealing with. And if there's any chance of it working out, we can at least get the ball rolling down that path right now. Well, you think about it. I mean, there's there's a plenty of those packages that were probably sold right coming right off of last year's Super Bowl, correct? That's true. You know, it didn't start right away. I mean, commitments are made earlier on in the game for sure. And so those, I guess, people are just sitting around. I wonder how many of those are canceled already or how many of those are sort of in the wind. Not that I su- suspect you have a specific answer to that and counted them up, but but <laughs> no, that, that no, wasn't I where I was going clear, with it. But. I would, yeah, there, I probably have an hour, hour's worth of questions for on location in the NFL about some of these finer points here. But uh, they, they declined to speak at length about those sorts of things. And, and I understand it. I mean, I think the answer to most of these is, TBD, look, you know, like we said, we've got a refund policy, but, you know, it's just it's awfully early to be making firm statements one way or the other about any of that. We do know that the NFL has some contingencies, though, when it looks at what the capacity might be, right? Right, right. Um, You know, until about a week ago, I was hearing from people the NFL had not, you know, given up hope on a full stadium. Um, And I suppose, you know, look, if there is a vaccine that is perfect and efficiently distributed, Maybe that's not out of the question, but I think right now it's hard to imagine a scenario in which we're, we're really that much different from where we are now with some partial percentages of the stadiums. Um, I, we, I had a source tell me that uh, there's sort of two operating contingencies. One would be about 16,000 people in Raymond James Stadium, and that would be about 25%. Another contingency would be 30,000 people in Raymond James Stadium, which is somewhere short of 50. I think it's in the mid-40s. And that doesn't seem implausible right now, but even that would require some changes because right now, even though the league does not have a cap on policy per se, it expects all NFL games to adhere to the current CDC recommendations on social distancing, which is an effective cap of about 25%. That's what's going on in Dallas, where the state of Texas has said you can have 50%. NFL says, hey, you know, regardless of what the state says, you need to be able to keep people six feet apart. And at least in a football stadium design, an American football stadium design, that means realistically about 25%. So unless something changes, that's that's the cap on the Super Bowl. And to be clear, something could change, but that's where we stand right now. And that gets that gets really interesting, especially when you think about some of the broker packages, even beyond NFL on location. You know, those out there that that uh, you, uh, you know, I wonder. Again, not a question we have an answer to, but I wonder whether we the, whether you will see situations where look, the state of Florida might be, you know, Governor DeSantos is is you know he's he he's kind of upset that the Bucks aren't playing you know regular right. aren't, aren't open for regular season games as it is, and so in his mind, I would think a hundred percent is probably the right number by January. That may well not be what the NFL sees it as, and send the, so then what happens there, and what happens by the way if I have signed up for a package that. I don't want anymore um, because maybe my view of what's comfortable and safe is different come February than the game than 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 uh, than the states is or or even that the league is right. And that leads me to what I think was one of the most interesting conceptual uh, aspects of the story. And I understand that you know the natural inclination for you is to ask about a lot of details about 
you know, exactly what happens to ticket packages and who gets what if we're only selling one out of every four seats to the Super Bowl. And that is an interesting question, but I don't think anyone knows right now. Uh, but but more conceptually, the, the situation we're facing here is that your average NFL fan and the governor of Florida and the local officials in Tampa are likely to be much more relaxed than big businesses about this. So big business, which includes the NFL, is going to say, hey, we are not we don't consider there to be any acceptable level of risk if we let the Super Bowl become a super spreader event. And all the major companies that are involved in the NFL sponsors and broadcasters also are going to be similarly cautious. So we could be in a situation where the Super Bowl is a more of a regular type folks crowd this year than than more the corporate ticket buyers, which is an interesting idea. And and maybe driven more by who's in it, you know, that, and that's the other question right. is is if those corporate right. if those corporate tickets all go back in the hopper, and the number of of uh, the number of available seats um, exceeds the demand, um, then who is that? And and do you just you know do you take all those return tickets from those those other teams and roll them all into the home team fans, or do you sell them all in Florida? I I, I wonder because again, there's still that whole other. I mean, are we going to be back on comfortably on planes for for leisure um, in uh, in February? I, none of us know, and I don't know that we're going to know in December. And so are you? You trying to plan a February weekend in on on the first weekend of January as as uh, as anything other than a fan of the of a team playing in the game? I'm not sure. No, I, I think that's really the upshot here is that the Super Bowl is always a last second thing by definition for fans of the teams that are in it. You find out 14 days ahead of time whether your team is in the Super Bowl, and lots of people make plans on short notice. Um, and there would be in a weird way, nothing different about it this year. Those are the people who are going to have the best information about pandemic related variables are the people who don't buy the tickets until the, until their team wins their conference championship game. But the people, you know, who read the sports business journal and the biggest money in the Super Bowl make commitments months earlier than that. So, and to be clear, the NFL will sell whatever ticket they're allowed to for the Super Bowl. I mean, let's keep in mind, I mean, it's still the Super Bowl. I have zero doubt that every seat will be filled that they're legally allowed to fill. But it just could be a very, very different type of person that's buying this year. And I think that's a really an interesting perspective that this could be, it's not going to be the common man Super Bowl. These are still expensive seats, but it may be a slightly more common man Super Bowl. Also will make for, I think, an interesting conversation with the Super Bowl host committee, um, which, you know, for every restricted seat means Perhaps one less person in a, in one of their hotel rooms, one less person at all their events around town, one less person in a restaurant, indoor or outdoor. I don't know what that's going to look like by then, but certainly the host committee might have a very different view of things even than the NFL does. Right, right. That's true. And everything flows from the capacity of the stadium. I know a lot of people go to the Super Bowl and don't stay for the game, especially in our world, the business people who come for the, the conferences and the parties and, and you know don't have a ticket to the game. But everything flows from the big show on that Sunday. And I think that's one reason the NFL doesn't want to make determinations about this until they have to, because they know that if they cut out 30,000 seats from that stadium now, then there's no chance of getting that back. And if they hold their cards close to their vest, delay decisions until they have to, then, you know, maybe something breaks. And, you know, that's a, that's a policy that, you know, might make me a little anxious if somebody likes to have my ducks in a row, but it served them well over the off season. You know, they didn't if they had to make a decision in May, fans or no fans, there'd be empty stadiums everywhere. But they've kept stayed flexible and given teams a chance to, uh, you know, at least get some of that ticketing revenue back. 
What's that looking like now? Let's update everybody on that, by the way, as we and and we'll we'll uh, we'll be, we're recording this on Friday before this NFL weekend. But when someone's listening to this this past NFL weekend, what, what were we looking at in terms of of fan, of uh, of capacity across the league and and how many stadiums are actually open to fans and what those capacities generally look like? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I should have checked my notes before we got on here and started recording because I've lost track of this a little bit. But in a sense, that's a good sign because that means there's more than just a couple. Right. The first week was easy. Uh, the first week was just uh, Jacksonville and Kansas City. Right. It expanded a little bit this week. Um, Cleveland had some fans yeah, on Miami. Thursday night. Uh, Miami had some fans on Thursday night. Indianapolis had a small group of fans. Um, and the general trend is positive. Um, I believe at this point there are now 11 stadiums out of 30. Yes, 11 stadiums have said that they have gotten clearance to have some number of fans in the stadium. That's not this week, but at some point right. in the coming weeks, depending right. whether they're home or away. Yeah, Carolina. Um, still, no, still nobody has gotten past the uh, the 22 or 25 percent threshold um, it, that, that the Cowboys hit. So we're still talking small numbers. But Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, uh, those are the two new ones this week. Oh, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've joined the others that had been in the mix from the beginning. So it's coming along. It's still slow. These numbers are still small in terms of the total percentage of tickets available. But the trend is definitely in the right direction. And interesting, not necessarily in the same direction as the as, as what the outbreak has been, right? You think about the Sunbelt states that were so much a focus of this once it uh, w- once things calm down in the in the Northeast and in the Upper Midwest, um, they they are they are the most ones most recently dealing uh, dealing with the virus, and yet those are the ones that are ready to open up and and welcome in fans, perhaps because they're trending in the right direction, um, but also perhaps of just some cultural differences. And and those differences, I suspect, will play out again as we look toward a, a, a Super Bowl played in Florida. Ben, what else are you watching? Well, I'm sorry to beat a dead horse, but I'm still wondering if they're ever going to do anything about the um, new camera visible or allegedly camera visible <laughs> logos on the tarps. The camera the invisible now. logos. <laughs> Yeah, camera, theoretically camera visible, we'll call it. Um, anyway, you know, yesterday in my newsletter, I, re- I reported some numbers from the agency that shared their measurements, and their opinion was that the camera picked up those logos slightly more often in week two than week one. It's not clear whether that's a lasting trend or why exactly, um, but, but you know, that's something we continue to watch because that's got potentially big. Other than the tickets sold, that's probably the next biggest variable and how how much teams are able to minimize their losses this year. So we're keeping an eye on that. I don't expect to see any real change in that. The broadcast producers and directors still aren't going to want to be showing empty seats if they can, but you know, maybe there's something they can do to to improve that, uh, that media value a little bit there. Pretty interesting that as we head to week three, we still have not seen much of a COVID list. No, I mean, that's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, we, we, we're not talking about that. That's maybe the biggest news story is that we're not talking about that. The NFL continues to seem to have an extremely good handle on COVID case counts. Um, you know, they haven't been zeros. There've been a couple of players, a couple of staffers here and there, but, and, and even, you know, there was uh, the fan who tested positive after the opening game in Kansas city, that also raised some eyebrows and caused some people to maybe white knuckle their desk for a couple of minutes. But 
you know, they knew that was always going to be the case. The variable is, can you keep that one from becoming 10 or 20 or 30? And by all accounts, that's been successful. There haven't been any serious disruptions to uh, rosters for actual game time because of, because of COVID. Hey, the storyline this week was the rash of severe football-related injuries on the field last, mm-hmm. last Sunday. And that's a real shame. A couple of teams were decimated. A lot of stars, Saquon Barkley in New York is out, plus a lot of others. But, you know, that's sort of routine, unfortunately. There's a week every year where it seems like half of everyone's fantasy league gets knocked out with an injury. That's not great, but it's not a problem the way COVID is. So all systems go for the team, for the league right now. You can't argue with that. No, you can't. All right, Ben Fisher, NFL writer, thanks so much. Sure thing, anytime. And now we turn to executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. Abe? Thanks, Bill. Good to be with everybody this week. I made Madcore a couple of things I'm keeping an eye on. First, I hope you will join us Wednesday night for our Sports Business Awards. The program will run from 7 to 8.30 leading into the NBA Finals. going to be a great night. We're going to be honoring over 80 nominees. We'll be awarding winners in 17 categories. We brought in outside judges to determine the winners. We're going to have a great tribute to our Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, Larry Tannenbaum, who, of course, is chairman of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, our Celebration of Service Award to Team Impact. Remember, to attend the event is free, complimentary. To join us, RSVP on the event section of our website. We're looking forward to bringing the industry together. It'll be a special night to celebrate the sports business. Speaking of the Sports Business Awards, you'd be surprised... How many notes I've gotten in the last five to six months saying, you know who should be up for League of the Year? NASCAR. You know who should be up for Executive of the Year? Steve Phelps. I've been getting a number of those notes from sources over the last few months, and I think our cover story indicates why. Phelps has really led NASCAR effectively, collaboratively. He's very well respected in the garage area, among NASCAR team owners, in the NASCAR office, and amongst their media partners. I mean, remember, Steve Phelps started at the NFL. He's been in the sports business a long time. He knows a number of people. He has connections at the highest levels of the industry. Very well liked, very well regarded. And for NASCAR to have Steve Phelps in the leadership after, say, Brian France and Brent Dewar is a different tone. It's a different personality. It's a different person. And I know that NASCAR has clearly benefited from Steve Phelps' leadership. So I'm going to continue to watch as NASCAR ends its season and what changes Phelps continues to make for a sport that really needed some dramatic changes. Staying in motorsports, how about a hat tip to Chase Carey? Chase Carey, of course, presided over Formula One since 2017. He took the job when Liberty Media took over the sport and they moved on from Bernie Ecclestone. Chase Carey and Sean Bratches did a lot of things right for Formula One. Sean Bratches left late last year. Now Chase Carey is leaving. He will be replaced by former Ferrari team boss Stefano Domenicali, who is currently chairman and CEO of Lamborghini. He has been in the sport a long time. Now remember, Chase Carey secured the new F1 Concord Agreement from 2021 to 2025, which of course is the really core agreement for the sport. It talks about prize money, it talks about governance, and talks about team operations. It has long been understood that Chase Carey would move on after a new Concord Agreement was signed. He is doing just that. But Chase Carey, Sean Bratches did some really good things. 
I'll be really interested to watch what the new leadership of F1 brings to the sport. Of course, the sport remains very globally popular, and it's growing, I think, in popularity in the United States. They made inroads. The Coda race in Texas had shown some signs of progress. They have been trying to increase their footprint in the United States with additional races, but I'll, we'll have to see what they do with the calendar. But F1 has its core fans, including my brother Mark, who is always texting me every day of an F1 race, and he is a Ferrari guy. Final thing I'm keeping an eye on, continue to watch the number of deals between teams and legalized sports betting, okay? We're seeing a major run. On Friday, we saw where the Chicago Bears signed a deal with PointsBet USA. They want to raise their profile in the Illinois market, and they are the first operator to announce a sponsorship with the Bears. And we all know that Illinois is a very hot market. We saw what the Chicago Cubs did with DraftKings. We knew that a lot of operators wanted to be in Illinois. We've seen the New York Giants sign recently with DraftKings. Many people would never think a team as conservative as the New York Giants would sign with a legalized betting group. Well, they went with DraftKings. We saw the Colorado Rockies the other day sign with DraftKings as well. So we've seen a number of team deals. And let me just say, these deals are lucrative. They are important revenue streams for these teams. You're going to want to keep an eye on which team continue to leverage this category and also which teams can't potentially because of state regulation. So the gaming space and the gambling space is one I am carefully keeping my eye on as I know you are Bill King because you're a residential expert on gaming and gambling. So those are some things I'm keeping an eye on. Again I hope you'll join us Wednesday night for our Sports Business Awards. It's going to be a great night an inspirational night and most of all a fun night. So Bill those are some things I'm watching. I'm Abe Madcore I'll talk to you all next week. Yes, Abe, I am. Lots going on there, as always, especially in Chicago, where all the teams have development rights for sports books in their stadiums and arenas. That's going to do it for this week. For Abe Madcore, Ben Fisher, and our producer, David Rumsey, I'm Bill King, and this has been First Look.